You know, Resurrection Sunday offers us the one thing we so desperately need and desire, assurance. You know, as Americans, we lack assurance, don't we? You know, if there's a a problem with my house, I'm going to call a plumber. But I'm not just going to call any plumber. You know, I'm going to spend as much time as I can afford with my problem Googling to find a good one. Finding one with five-star ratings and countless reviews saying that he is good, that he is honest, and that he's not going to cheat me or anything like that. I want assurance that he's going to do the job fairly. We've all heard the horror stories of people who were not treated fairly, who were cheated and scammed by similar things. So... I mean, we are so bad, water could literally be pouring from that pipe, flooding my basement, and I'm still Googling reviews. We want that assurance so badly. It's hard to overstate how much peace and security we feel when we finally have assurance in something as important as home repair. And, you know, what? the funny thing is, it usually takes time to arrive at that kind of security. It usually takes a recommendation from somebody we know, not just a Google search. And even then, we need a few, a few experiences with them to see that that person didn't just pull the wool over the eyes of our friend. We can be cynical in that regard. We can be slow to trust, slow to find ourselves in assurance. But when we finally arrive at that point and we experience that kind of peace in our life over something as simple as that... We find such peace. And we can't even just keep that peace to ourselves. The next time we have a friend or a family member going through a similar plumbing issue, to torture the analogy, you know, what's the first thing we do? We say, oh, you have to check out this guy. You won't believe what this guy did to me. And they'll do the same thing for you. Because that's just the kind of man that he is. You can't just keep good news like that to yourself. And that's exactly what Easter Resurrection Sunday is all about at the end of the day. It's about examining the evidence, finding and resting in assurance from that evidence, and then being made bold by those things to share the truths that we have found. (laughs) Because let's face it, if there's one area we lack assurance in, it's philosophy and religion. I know, I have a degree in that area. There is no assurance in that discipline unto itself. You know, here is actually one of my textbooks from one of my upper level courses. 800 pages of small font and no pictures. (laughs) And funny enough, there is no assurance. The, The authors involved in here disagree with one another. There is no assurance and no agreement in that area. Funny enough, here's another 800 pages of philosophy, another thing that I had to go through. 800 more pages of small print, no pictures, written by one guy, arguing whether or not we can have any assurance about what happens with philosophy and religion. You think this guy had any peace in his life? He doesn't even know what we can believe, whether we can know anything at all. You know, our problem isn't new. That last textbook was printed in 1781 in its first edition. It's a universal problem that we have as humans. 
We want assurance that what we believe is really real. That these things are true and not just fancy, comforting words or speculation about how things might be. But we want to know what is true. And that's where the resurrection offers us something that no other religion offers. Forensic evidence that Jesus is who he says he is. And you know, if you think about it, you can visit the tomb of Muhammad the prophet. It's a very popular site in the East. You can visit the remains of Siddhartha Gautama, more commonly known as the Buddha. You can visit his remains at his site. But you can't visit the tomb of Jesus. At best, you can visit the place where they lay. As the angel said in Luke 24, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. You can't visit the grave of Jesus. He's not there. And you know, that's the fascinating thing to me. All of Jesus's naysayers, all of his adversaries and detractors to put to death this religion that they called it as they started it. All they had to do to stop this movement was to show the body of Jesus in the grave. How fascinating that they couldn't do that. That's all they had to do, show, show them the tomb. You know, the tomb that was guarded by the Roman guards, that had a two-ton stone guarding the front of it. They couldn't do it. Jesus, rising from the dead, as he predicted he would, is the only explanation that makes sense of the data. He is risen. No, he said he would do it. He verified his, uh, his deity with, the, with impossible to replicate miracles beforehand. And 1 Corinthians 15 later tells us that over 500 people at one time saw the risen Christ in one place. The fact that that tomb is empty and that Christ is raised from the dead is the only way to explain all of this. His disciples couldn't have stolen the body. The tomb was too closely watched by people whose necks were on the line if, there were, uh, if something were to happen. And furthermore, you know, Jesus certainly couldn't fake his death and he was just sleeping in the tomb. Some people still write about that, but you tell me. A Roman executioner knew a dead person when he saw them, especially because back then if he failed to execute a punishment, he had to take the punishment of the person he was executing. Nobody was going to risk being crucified. The most painful form of death of that time. It's still hard to imagine anything more painful. So it's the only way that makes sense. Besides, how does a man who was supposedly beat within an inch of his life then move a stone that weighs somewhere between two and 4,000 pounds? I mean, my goodness, I, three days after my back surgery, I could barely walk on my own, much less move 4,000 pounds. It's laughable. The only logical explanation is that Jesus rose supernaturally from the grave. You know, what's funny is that if Jesus was just a charlatan, as some scoffers say that he was, trying to start a movement, there's much easier ways to do it. He could have simply said, I will spiritually rise from the dead. It's a lot easier to believe. And it's a lot, how do you falsify such a claim? You could never prove that he didn't. 
A lot easier to, move, to make a movement based off of a weaker claim like that. Instead, he said that he would do the impossible by raising physically from the dead, bodily from the dead, so that when he fulfilled it, we would have assurance that he was everything he claimed he was, that he was the Messiah that came to take away our sins. You know, Jesus made the same point in Luke chapter 5. At that, in that scripture, he was about to heal the paralytic in front of the Pharisees. And he said, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose, got up before them, picked and picked up what, had, what he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Do you guys see what Jesus is doing in that passage? No, he's saying that he would heal this man of an impossible-to-heal ailment so that people would understand that he also has the authority to forgive sins too. Both things, something only God could do. Jesus was using his miracles to confirm his message. His miracles confirm his message. And we see this all over the scriptures. We see that with Elijah the prophet in 1 Kings 18 where the fire came down from heaven to prove that he was the prophet of God. How also Elisha was confirmed when he parted the river using Elijah's mantle. How God confirmed Moses when the sons of Korah were swallowed up by the earth. The miracles confirm the message and the messenger. So with all this in mind, tying all these threads together this morning, what does the empty tomb mean? It means that the Passover lamb that Brother Mike was talking about last week has been accepted. That Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, as John the Baptist would say. And here is the message he confirmed. That we are sinners. That we have fallen short of the glory of God and that our sins have separated us from a holy, perfect God who cannot look upon sin. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son on Good Friday, dying on the cross for us, so that anyone who believes that the tomb is empty shall not perish, but have everlasting life with the Father. So that anyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, who came to take our penalty that we deserve to take on the cross for our sins, would have complete forgiveness and, re and restoration to the holy and perfect God that we have sinned against. Not because we are so good. Not because we earned it. Not because we deserve it. But because God is so good and so loves us as his people. That message is confirmed by the empty tomb. That was the message that Jesus and all the prophets before him came to bring. And it was proven beyond a shadow of a doubt 
when that grave was empty, just like Jesus said it would be on the third day. (laughs) Speaking of which, what did Jesus say on the cross? Well, amongst his sayings, it is finished. It is paid in full. The debt that we owed to God for our sins was settled, was paid in full. The price for our ransom is paid. And now all who call upon his name can have everlasting life. That's the message confirmed by the empty tomb. And only God could do this. Believe the good news this morning, church. Believe the gospel. The evidence leaves no other choice. But moving forward, what did the disciples do when they found that the grave was empty? Well, verse 8 from our first reading says, So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. You know, being assured of these truths that we're talking about this morning should embolden us to do whatever it is that God is calling us to do. You know, if the God who raises the dead and rolled the stone away has the power to accomplish whatever God is calling you to do this morning, whatever the next step with Jesus is, he is able to equip you for that task. For some of you, he might be calling you to serve in the Sunday school or the food pantry. And you're wondering, can can I do that? You know, can I make such a commitment? Do I have the abilities to do so? Well, if the God who raises the dead and rolled the stone away has the power to gift you and equip you for all that he has called you to do. Is he calling you maybe to lead a Bible study or do mission work? Oh, surely the God who can defy death itself can provide you with everything that you need. Or maybe it's something else this morning. Maybe God is calling on you to trust him for the first time. Maybe he's calling on you to take to to take him seriously, to read his word, to seek him for who he is and to find your identity in Christ. You know, Jesus said that whatever it is that that call would cost you, you you will receive a hundredfold more in this life and the next for whatever we give up to, for the call of following Christ. You know, Jesus is calling, but he also said that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. If that's what Jesus is calling you to do this morning, he will take care of you. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you. Keep that in mind. So whether it's something like that, or even just telling a family member tonight around the Easter dinner table about what this empty tomb means. Maybe that's what God is calling you to do today. And if so, if God can roll the stone away, he can give you the words and the boldness to proclaim these truths as he did for so many other prophets in the Old and the New Testament. One more example, and then I'll work towards my conclusion. A few years ago, I was teaching a fourth grade Sunday school class. And I was teaching basically the same outline that I'm teaching today, just at a fourth grade level. A little bit more examples, but, but the same theme, talking about the assurance of the resurrection, what this means. And the next week, one of the parents 
<laughs> of one of those kids came to me, came up to me right before the Sunday school started and looked me right in the eyes and said, what did you teach last week? And immediately I'm like, oh goodness, what, what did I teach? I don't remember saying anything controversial. <laughs> and she said, no, 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 what did you teach? L- let me explain. My son has been terrified of death for the last month. He has been have he he can't sleep at night and he he has nightmares when he does. He is terrified of dying. Until last Sunday. He said you had something to do with it. What did you say? Wow. I had the pleasure of telling her it was the same truths I'm proclaiming here this morning. That because the tomb is empty, we have peace with God. That all who call upon his name know where they are going when that day comes when we meet our maker. And we can have that peace and assurance through the resurrection of Christ. Isn't it amazing how the truths of this scripture can take away the greatest of fears, even from the most timid of hearts? How much more so you this morning? Jesus is offering you the same peace and assurance this morning. So wherever you stand with Jesus, whether God is calling you to call upon his name for the first time, or whether you've been a saint who's been walking for years and uh, praying over a new opportunity in ministry, (laughs) wherever you stand with Jesus this morning, be emboldened to take the next steps with Jesus, wherever you stand, and whatever he's calling you to take with a boldness that is rooted not in our own abilities, not in my own giftedness, but rooted in the assurance of the resurrection of Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen.